1: Hey, y'all. I'm Zach Glazer, our legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist, and this is episode 367 of the Lawyerist podcast. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We're introducing sponsored podcast episodes where we'll be joined by a legal voice or company and discuss the newest features, happenings, and trends in the legal world. We're excited to offer these episodes to our audience, and we hope you'll enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Cleo, and we'll be talking about the Legal Trends Report with Joshua Lennon.
2: Hi, I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio. I'm a licensed attorney in New York, certified privacy professional. I've been a part of various task forces on the future of the legal profession, including the ABA's Pandemic Response Task Force, ran my own practicing immigration firm. And today I'm here to talk to you about Clio's Legal Trends Report.
1: So Joshua, I think the obvious question is, what is... The Legal Trends Report. It's It's been out for a while. I think people hear that name a bunch. They've seen a lot of numbers from it. What is it? What does it have? Where do you get the information? All that stuff.
2: The CLIA Legal Trends Report is actually an annual report. We put out a new version every year mm-hmm. that takes a look at a pretty unique data set. And that is the voluntarily contributed data from hundreds of thousands of law firms in the United States that use Clio. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to give a lot of clarification there. Due to both contractual and technical constraints, Clio cannot see the data inside the law firm's client files. Right. We don't know who your clients are. We don't want to know. That is your data. But what we can see is data on how lawyers are using Clio the tool. Mm-hmm. I like to give is billable hourly rates. We can see that one lawyer at one end of a bell curve is charging $20 an hour, and mm-hmm. a lawyer at another end of a bell curve is charging $2,000 an hour. I can't tell you which lawyer which is billing which. Right. But I know that Clio, the tool, has to be able to support both those extremes and all of the various billable hourly rates in between.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: from that, we get a bell curve. I can tell you what's most common between those two extremes. And from that I can derive a lot of information. I can tell you what the average hourly rate for a lawyer is across the United States, close to $300 an hour. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what the average hourly rate for a non-lawyer as billed through Clio is. That's closer to $120 an hour. I can tell you how much those have grown over the life cycle of Clio Mm -hmm. with lawyers regularly outpacing the consumer price index whereas the billable hourly rate for non-lawyers remained flat. Hmm. And I can break that data down even further by approximately 40 different practice areas that we've defined within Clio and take a look and compare all of that data between states. So I can tell you what a family law lawyer on average mm-hmm. is charging in New York versus what they're charging in Iowa. Now, all of this is from aggregated, anonymized data. So again, I can't tell you which law firm, right? and I can't tell you which lawyer, but I can tell you these broad trends. And we've been publishing them ever since 2016, where we dropped our, our first and probably biggest bombshell, mm-hmm. which we call the lawyer funnel. The lawyer funnel is the idea that lawyers work really hard, but our data is telling us that there's a mismatch in outcomes from all that effort. Okay. On average, And we've done extensive surveys on this. Lawyers work about eight hours a day. Some days more, some weeks more, Mm -hmm. but it averages out to about eight hours a day. And what we found is the average solo, small, and medium-sized law firm in the United States is only billing about 2.2 to 2.3 hours per day per lawyer out of an eight-hour day to six hours of their day is being spent on non-billable work, administrative work, technology mm-hmm. configuration, licensing, business development, a lot of which is necessary, but it's taking them away from being a lawyer. And we call that the utilization rate. And below that, we saw something even that's also equally upsetting. Of those 2.2 to 2.3 hours a day that a law firm bills, the lawyers are actually giving themselves a haircut and they're cutting off part of that bill before they send it to a client. And so the client themselves are only seeing an invoice of about two hours a day on average. Their clients collectively, yeah. Clients collectively, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the clients collectively are coming back to what we call the collection rate, which is they're only paying about 1.8 hours of that bill. So lawyers are, are on a treadmill, running as fast as they can for eight hours a day and getting paid for less than two hours work every mm-hmm. day. That's what our 2016 legal trends report showed us.
1: And Joshua, I, I remember seeing this in 2016. I was I was in a CLE and it's kind of mind blowing in a sense. And I, I don't really use that lightly. It kind of shattered some glass for me because you look at your own rates and you look at your clients and you think, okay, well, my rate is $250 an hour. Let's use something. Well, let's use the average $300 an hour. And you think, man, Somebody's paying me $300 for an hour worth of work. And you know that that you're worth it, but you then cut it down and then they cut it down. And all of a sudden you're, you're charging too little for your time, for your work. And it's, it's a bad habit that we get into. <laughs> and so I like that you guys have put that out there, but more importantly with the legal trends report, y'all have been asking, well, why are we doing that? And what can we do to
2: affect that as lawyers as well. Yeah. One of the things that I've discovered as a lawyer working with big data sets is data often raises more questions than answers. Yeah. Like we looked at what's the average amount of lawyer bills a day. That's a, a simple data question to kind of ask. Yeah. And then when we got this shockingly low answer, <laughs> it left us with one question. Why? Why is it that way? Yeah. And a lot of our research since 2016, it's been delving into various aspects of this. And to do that, we've been actually supplementing the data sets with extensive surveys of thousands of lawyers and thousands of legal consumers. So clients, as well as people who, who could be clients, but maybe aren't Okay. about why they're, they're making some of the choices that they're making. How do they respond to what the data is telling us and seeing if it's plausible or, or far-fetched. And what's really interesting is a lot of lawyers are looking at that 2.3 hours cut down to 1.8. And they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. That happens every day at my firm. Mm-hmm. When we ask why, why are you writing down your own bills before the client even sees them? The most common response was that of empathy. They just felt, yeah. you know what? It, it just looked like too big a number yeah. for my clients. The problem with that is the clients are going to push back. It seems like no matter what. Yeah, that makes sense. Why are you doing that pushback for them And then potentially creating a greater loss and an unsustainable cycle on behalf of your clients. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of ways that we've looked at how to address this. Well, there are kind of two answers to why are lawyers billing so little? Is there not enough work? Or is there too much other non-billable work that's taking them away? And we found that the latter, there's too much non-billable work, Mm -hmm. seems to be part of the problem. Like everybody's always wanting more clients. I'm not going to dismiss that. Right. But once they have those clients, lawyers tend to either be devoting themselves entirely to working on behalf of those clients, to the exclusion of their law firm, Mm -hmm. or they then enter this feast to a famine kind of stage where they're like, oh no, now I have no clients. What am I going to do? I need business. Right. And that tells me that there's kind of an unsustainable mix between being a lawyer and running a law firm if you can't find a way to balance those two.
1: Yeah. And I think we feel that. Like I think I think every lawyer out there who who runs their firm feels that and looks at that two hours to eight hours and they know where that where that time is. They know that it's in their office, it's working on their business. And again, like you said, if you don't do that, then you're not gonna have any clients to be working with. Mm-hmm.
2: But obviously from these numbers, that's problematic. Yeah. And so what we've started to take a look at is the idea of a client-centered experience. Mm -hmm. We've been getting feedback from clients and those people who decided not to become clients on what they're looking for when working with a lawyer. And interestingly, especially with the pandemic, it has been changing. Yeah. From that, we've been able to see with this, I think, really amazing longitudinal study, what law firms are kind of bucking the trend when it comes to being unable to focus on being a lawyer. What mm-hmm. lawyers have found a way around that? And this actually came up in our 2020 Legal Trends Report, our 2019 and 2020. We've been taking a look at this. Mm-hmm. And it's a longitudinal study over law firms that have been using Clio for five-plus years and seeing who's growing and who's not. And the biggest area of growth that was most surprising was that of revenue. Okay. Given the lawyers bill for time, we often think I've maxed out my current client. So the only way for me to get more revenue is to get either more clients or more lawyers, more timekeepers. And that's how I get more revenue into the firm. And what we found is there's a group of law firms that have been growing over the past five years that have not been growing practice areas, number Mm -hmm. of clients, or number of timekeepers to the same degree that they've been growing revenue. Revenues outpaced them for five years, they've doubled their revenue while barely increasing the amount of clients, practice areas or lawyers Mm -hmm. that are part of the firm. And we asked ourselves, why is that? And what it turned out was, they were able to just find more billable hours to work without losing the rest of the business. So they took those administrative tasks that were taking time away from being a lawyer And they found a way to automate or delegate those activities, not a huge amount, but enough that they were able to double revenue at their firm. Their utilization rates, remember that part of the eight hour a day that you can work, Mm -hmm. it went from 28% of their day was spent on billable activities to 33% of their day. Just a third of their day, but it was enough to double revenue at their firm. And we actually found there were three key technologies that seemed to greatly impact that. Mm -hmm. The first was having some type of client intake tool where clients could enter their own information, start the data process of being a client, right? Yeah. The selection process of a lawyer, that had a really big impact. The next was having a client portal, which is where once they become a client, there's a place for them to share documents, to share messages, mm-hmm. to see calendars related to their cases, things like that. Yeah. And the last was having online payments, the ability for clients to pay online. Each of those contributed uh, a significant amount to a law firm's bottom line. Right. And when you combined the three of them, it was over $40,000 in additional revenue per lawyer per year. If you were a solo lawyer, it was over $50,000 in additional revenue.
1: That is an amount of money I'm sure that very few small to medium-sized law firms would would scoff at. And the thing in there, like I see the automation. I see mm-hmm. the the intake being automated. Obviously, I'm going to gain time there. The client being able to see their portal. So I'm going to gain some time there because I'm not having to do something and then Mm. making it easy for them to pay. Well, I'm going to, it's going to be easier for them to pay. They're going to, they're going to pay more. But the thing that, that is kind of in there that I think needs to be teased out is I imagine, you know, the, the utilization rate, they're taking less of a haircut. They're probably docking themselves less as well. And the question to me is why, why do those people feel like they don't have to dock their amount? On the front end as much?
2: I think they're finding that their clients are satisfied. Mm -hmm. And that's creating a virtuous cycle now. So we had this, unfortunately, not virtuous cycle of the haircut, right? I'm working too hard. My clients are dissatisfied. I'm writing my bill down. And once you create these systems where clients can kind of carry a bit of the load themselves, which Mm -hmm. they often want to do anyway, it creates a virtuous cycle where my clients aren't bugging me saying, hey, why can't I find this information? Clients are coming to me via my website. My bills are getting paid. We found with online payments, the average bill was paid within, what was it? 60% of the bills were paid within the first 24 hours of the client receiving them. Oh, wow. Which in the legal industry is unheard of. Uh Um, You send them an email with a little button that says, click here to pay this invoice. And they do. Yeah. And when you realize how easy that was, then you can use technology to then go after the 40% that didn't pay it in the first 24 hours. Like, hey, your your bill is coming due. Just a gentle reminder. Hey, your bill is past due. Click here to pay it now. Mm -hmm. All of these things can be done by technology for you and improve your firm's bottom line. And it creates an experience for the clients where it's not one of exasperation, but one of mutual collaboration. Yeah, And when that happens, why would you give yourself a haircut? You're doing things that make your clients happy, that advance their legal needs, right. that give them a resource that they never had before. So I, I agree. It's definitely a virtuous cycle that we're starting to see here. Yeah. And
1: you're getting some feedback from your clients as well. A client pays you within 24 hours. They must be happy. That's fantastic. Yeah. This is great. From my perspective, I when I practiced, I was a debt collections attorney mm. or creditors' rights, as we as we churched it up sometimes. Yeah, and I found most people want to pay. If you make it easy for people to pay, whether they're a debtor or a client or whatever it is, the easier it is for them to pay, the more likely they are to do that.
2: Yeah, it actually creates a real impact. One of the interesting things from the 2021 Legal Trends Report, our most recent one, is we're finding that there's a shift in business. Hmm. So firms that have the ability for clients to pay online are actually starting to get more cases on average every month than firms that don't. Right. So there's this migration towards these firms that are making it a good client experience. So people are expecting to see that type of thing, that type of
1: interaction. The clients are recognizing it.
2: It goes even beyond that. So what we found, I mentioned this before, is there's a shift in client expectations. Mm -hmm. In the 2021 Legal Trends Report, we actually went back and looked at some questions we asked in 2018 about how do clients like to interact with lawyers? Is it by phone? Is it by email? Do Mm -hmm. they want to go to the office? Et cetera, et cetera. And the shocking thing in the 2018 one is we asked that same question to lawyers. How do your clients want to interact with you? And there was this huge mismatch. Uh, Lawyers (laughs) believed everybody wanted to come to their office. (laughs) Clients really just wanted to get on the phone at most. Right. Yeah. And then we fast forward to 2021, all the huge changes that have happened in the last couple of years. And what we found is in 2018, maybe 20 to 30% of clients wanted some type of remote experience options. Mm -hmm. Now it's 78%. They think there should be video conferencing. They should have websites where they can upload documents or share documents between themselves and their lawyers. Uh, They want the ability to pay their bills online. In fact, it is by far and away the most preferred method. And it's just this change that's happened in a mere number of years. Having some type of online portion to your law firm is now table stakes. And every generation, because we broke the data down that way from baby boomers on down, Every generation, the majority of clients out there expect some type of remote option. And a good chunk actually prefer remote-only options even too. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big change that we noticed in the last two years. And we think it's going to be a lasting one. And I I want to highlight
1: those numbers. You said 20% some odd in -hmm. 2018. And now after the pandemic, this last one, the 2021, 70-something percent?
2: Yeah, we went, uh, I just pulled it up. We went from 23% in 2018 to 79% in 2021.
1: Yeah, that's not a blip. That's going to be sustained. Yeah, that's a threefold increase. Yeah. Yeah. So how do lawyers do that? I mean, how how do they get these table stakes? What are the things they need to be doing to
2: grab those clients? Well, I think that's where the second bit of research that we did in the 2021 Legal Terms Report comes in. What's very interesting to me is We asked, like, how comfortable do you think your law school prepared you in running a business? And only 7% of lawyers believe law school prepared them to run a law firm.
1: Oh, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Right? (laughs) But there are a lot of lawyers who are doing it. And so we we delved in even further than that. And what we found is only 42% of attorneys who should know the figures for their number. So like managing partners, Mm -hmm. solo attorneys like people in the leadership of their firms, only 42% of them had confidence in the knowledge of their firm spending. Yeah. Of that same group, right? On which only 42% were confident. 80% told us they were spending strategically. Said, That's a mismatch. <laughs> uh, I don't know what we're spending, but I know we're doing it well. But we're doing, yes, we're, we're doing good. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think I think this is where, hopefully the listeners to the podcast, really start thinking about what are our strategic priorities, mm-hmm. both as a law firm and as a legal service provider? Is it that I just want to keep on this treadmill mm-hmm. or is it some other outcome that I'm aiming for on behalf of us and our clients? Right. And how do they get there is, is kind of the next. We've gone from now the why to the how is what the legal trends report is really starting to ask a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. Well, so how do they get there? This makes me think reports, of course, but I I believe it's got to be beyond that. So what does it mean for them?
2: Well, I think a good chunk of it is actually starting to break down your spending and figuring out what is effective, Mm -hmm. what gives you what's called a return on investment. And I highlighted the three that we found were really impactful, right? Uh, The client intake, the client portals, the online payments. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more that law firm spend on. And so one of the things we did this year was we asked the question, if you had an additional $5,000 in funds, where would you spend it? And we found something really interesting. And that is what law firms used to really spend a lot of money on outside of salaries, which is normally the biggest expense for a law firm, Right. is real estate. Yeah. You want the nice office, the nice conference room, the, the wall of books behind you, right? Well, we're trying to impress our clients, right? All these things were considered necessary, right? Mm-hmm. It was part of an image of being a lawyer. And what we found in the 2021 is that, given an additional five thousand dollars in funds, less than 30 percent of lawyers would invest in their real estate. Hmm. The two biggest places for spending were practice management software, which sounds a little self-serving. That's what Clio does. But uh, over 60 percent picked that. Yeah. Uh, and the next highest was investment in hardware for their firm, just making sure everybody has the best. Yeah, And then beyond that was adding more to their marketing website and their domain. Right, And so lawyers are starting to shift away from a law firm being a place to a law firm being a service. Yes. And if that sounds really familiar to anybody, it's probably because they've heard Richard Susskind and his book, The Future of Courts, Yeah, use something very similar. Is court a place or a service? Yeah. And now I think law firms are asking that exact same question right am i a law office or am i a law firm and how do i how do i shift myself that way right and so i believe this is going to lead to a more strategic investment in agile solutions and what do i mean by agile i mean solutions that work independent of location so if i want to work at home i can access everything mm-hmm. if my clients don't want to come to my office i can still communicate with them if I want to hire a paralegal who lives in a small town in my state rather than like in the same city as me, mm-hmm. that I have the ability to provision that paralegal with the tools that they need safely and securely. Right. All of these are now options that law firms hadn't really been concerned in the past. In fact, we're even starting to see certain state jurisdictions take a look at the idea of non-resident lawyers or the non-resident law firm. I have a lawyer that lived in New York city and now because of the pandemic have moved to some cabin in Montana and are practicing law. How does the Montana state bar feel about that? Right. These are the questions being asked, but the the flexibility and agility to do these things are where I think lawyers are starting to do their strategic investments. So what keeps my law firm agile what gives my clients a great collaborative client centered experience mm-hmm. and then everything else will be secondary if i have a nice office great but if i don't need it then i'm not going to spend on it
1: yeah and the the nice office okay well let's think of that in terms of the client experience yeah you know instead of thinking of it as the table stakes well the table stakes have changed we're talking about a client experience if the nice office is part of that fine you know but yeah. think about it get your numbers Get some reports, figure out what your ROI is on, on these things. And I think that speaks to why the law practice management software is the first thing that you hear people say that they would get is because that's how we collect our data as attorneys. You know, you guys are able to collect a lot of aggregated data and give Mm -hmm. a lot of information about us in our practices, but using that for ourselves, we can collect a lot of internal data on our own stuff. And then run reports and know where to spend.
2: Yeah. Interestingly, um, those three, we call them key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. The utilization rate, how many hours in a day are you billing? The realization rate, how many of those billable hours are you invoicing? And then lastly, the collection rate. We ended up just building those as dashboards in Clio because we found that they were so important to the numbers that we were publishing in the Legal Trends Report that our customers turned around and said, hey, that's great. We know the industry average. What's mine? Yeah. And that was great feedback. And so we ended up building dashboards internally so a firm can look at how do they compare against their state or national benchmarks and make informed decisions because of that.
1: Right, right. Well, so obviously the Legal Trends Report has a ton of information in it. And honestly, the thing I didn't know previously was the idea of looking at each LTR individually each year and being able to kind of see some trends in that. And I think that Clio is obviously keeping track of that. But if we were to say, what are some things that people could, some actionable things that they could do right now related to these findings, related to making their business a better place tomorrow or the next day, what would you say they do?
2: I think the first thing is to realize that it's small steps. Mm-hmm. When we talked about the firms that doubled their revenue, they didn't go out and take on a whole lot of extra things, but they had this really small incremental improvement over a period of five years. Their utilization rate, as I said, went from 28 to 33, not a really huge change, just 5%. But that small incremental change was enough. So Mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to like scrap your law firm, redo everything. But instead, it's take a look at something that's either frustrating you about your clients or something your clients have expressed frustration with you about, right? Yeah. And figuring out a way to tackle that one thing. If you're frustrated that your clients aren't paying their bills fast enough, well, is there a better way to handle that, Mm -hmm. right? And make it easier for both you and the client. Or if the client has given you a bad review on Google Business, for example, because they never hear from you, well, maybe it's time for you to Take a look at a virtual assistant, Mm -hmm. somebody who can answer your phones for you. So it doesn't go to voicemail and make sure you know what messages are or take a look at a scheduling tool where clients can book time with you so that you know when to be available for them rather than the random call at like Friday at 5 p.m. Uh, These are just little tiny things that you can implement that take that one frustration point of interaction between you and your client. And turn it into a positive experience. Mm -hmm. Once you tackle that one point, then you can expand it, right? Right. And create that incremental change that will improve. I also think this is a pretty strategic way to go about it. Yeah. And that's again what we saw is that 42% of, of, of lawyers who should know what their firm's spending money on just don't. Yeah. And so this way you aren't rushing out and buying the biggest, shiniest thing that has a tons of bells and whistles but instead really targeting what's going to work for you or quickly discover if it doesn't and stop spending on it Uh, rather than commit yourself to like a three-year contract with anything. Don't go that route. Right. Right. Yeah. That,
1: that constant iteration, the small steps moving forward. Well, Joshua, this was very informative. Thank you for, for walking us through, you know, what the Clio trends report is what it says this year and, and has said previously, I, I really appreciate your uh, your help with this. And I, I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this.
2: Thanks. I really invite everyone to come and download their own copy. It's available for free at clio.com forward slash LTR, uh, which is a shorthand for Legal Trends Report. Sounds good. Thank you again. Thank you, Zach.
0: The Lawyerist podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice, wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the small firm roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15 minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.